2029 could be an important year in the case of Arlene Fraser. You see, her killer, Nat Fraser, could apply to being let out of jail then. And if the parole board is impressed by his conduct behind bars, they might let him out on a tag. For Arlene's family, Nat's freedom should only ever come on one condition, that he offers something up in return. I'm Dale Haslam. I'm an investigative journalist at the Press and Journal. And in this episode, I'm going to investigate how a change in the law could finally bring closure in one of Scotland's biggest murder cases. You're listening to Vanished, the Arlene Fraser murder. A true crime podcast from the Press and Journal and Impact Podcasts. Episode 6, The Body. 2029, when Nat Fraser was jailed for murder in 2012, he must have been thinking what a long way off 2029 was, but it may not seem that far off now. Opinions, however, are divided on whether he will, or should, leave custody. On the one hand, the parole board might not be charmed, given that Nat has twice fallen foul of prison rules. He was caught with a mobile phone in his cell in 2013, and again, in 2018, and was punished accordingly. But on the other hand, Nat has spent a lot of time shaping himself as the prison grandfather, helping inmates settle in, teaching them how to play guitar, and generally being of little trouble. For Arlene's family, these are not important considerations when it comes to granting Nat parole. They believe there is only one, and that is, where is Arlene's body? I've arrived back to my office, right here in the heart of the Granite City. It's on Broad Street, opposite Marshall College, a building I'll never get tired of seeing from our office window. Now I'm back at the office, I've had a chance to reflect on Arlene's story and what it means today. We learned that Arlene, a 33-year-old mum of two, had gone missing. And previously, her husband, Nat Fraser, had seriously assaulted her and had to stay away from the house, away from his wife, kids, and home. Nat had an alibi for the day Arlene went missing, but police and prosecutors believed it was, if anything, too perfect. They proved to a jury that though Nat didn't abduct Arlene herself, he was the one who stood to gain most from it, and he was the mastermind behind her disappearance. Someone turned up at Arlene's front door and coaxed Arlene out of the house. And when her close friend, Michelle Scott, arrived to take Arlene out for lunch, she found the house empty, but not quite right. Arlene was gone, but she had left things there that she would have taken with her had she suddenly decided to up and leave. And anyway, nobody seriously believed Arlene, a doting mum, would just walk out on her two kids even if Nat said that that's what happened. Nat was jailed, and though he won an appeal, he was jailed again after a second trial. Though Nat murdered Arlene, either by his own hand or on his orders, he still denies it now. And that's the part that most people have trouble accepting. 
It's important to remember our legal system operates like it does for a reason. It survived the test of time over the course of centuries and evolved over many, many years. All of us, as members of a community, agree that a person is innocent until proven guilty by a jury of their peers. We also agree that the guilty will be punished according to a judge ruling. And we all agree that once that person has served their sentence, they should be allowed to reintegrate into society. But what if that person has never shown an ounce of remorse or empathy for their victims? In that case, that would mean admitting what he did and revealing where Arlene's body was buried, something that he has never done to this day. And that is why Arlene's story is still important today. Murder cases where bodies are never found are rare. And so, when they do happen, they have the potential to change the law. Take the case of Suzanne Pilly, for example. Suzanne, an Edinburgh bookkeeper, was 38 when her ex-boyfriend, David Gilroy, murdered her and is thought to have dumped her body in the Argyle forests. Like Arlene, Suzanne was never found. Her family and others campaigned for a change in the law. For loved ones, it's quite a simple equation. Tell us where the body is or you don't leave prison, ever. The Scottish Government has listened. A change in the law in April 2023 means that parole board must take this factor into account when considering whether to free someone. Arlene's family are among those at the forefront of the campaign and they were pleased when the law was changed, but they want the politicians to go further. To them, it should be this straightforward. No body location, no release. Alex Prentice KC is one of Scotland's most prominent prosecutors and was the man who finally put Nat Fraser behind bars. Cases of murder where the remains are not recovered are just agony for the family because they never really get that opportunity of at least having a recognition of what happened and then a resting place of some kind. Um, it's always an open-ended uh, agony that they have. That they will, they will have some sense of justice from the verdict, uh, and that that will be a comfort to them. But not finding the remains will continue to be uh, a major cause of distress for them. Mm, I don't imagine it really diminishes over the years. I was very moved by the dignity of the family throughout the whole thing. One could easily understand how they might have reacted differently, not least because they had to endure two trials, but they, they, they maintained a real sense of dignity throughout. I've spent months investigating this case, and Arlene's family have given this podcast their blessing and have been kept informed all throughout my work. Their position is that they feel too emotionally drained to discuss the case publicly, and so would rather not, save for this one exception. Arlene's sister, Carol Gillis, has written a letter to us explaining just why a Suzanne's Law would be pivotal. Carol was kind enough to write down her thoughts in a letter to mark the 25th anniversary of Arlene's disappearance. Here, her words are read by an actor. On reaching another anniversary, I feel that this painful situation is never ending. 
However, it doesn't feel helpful for us as a family to constantly talk to the media about how we feel. It's an understatement to say anniversaries trigger painful, stressful memories. But at the same time, we must acknowledge that Arlene's remains have still not been found and we just cannot give up on her. For us as a family, it would be more helpful to talk about a way of moving forward. And the only hope we have is to see a review and change in legislation. Although Nat Fraser is serving a sentence for Arlene Fraser's murder, we continue to face the fact that we must accept he will never disclose where her remains lie. The only way forward is to implement some changes in the law. To have changes in place may help us prepare for the day Nat Fraser is due for parole. In my opinion, parole boards tend to focus on the prisoner and his or her behaviour while in prison, and whether he should pose a risk on release. In cases where information regarding where a body has been hidden, surely this behaviour must remain first and foremost in anyone's mind. I also feel strongly that any parole board should have an entire and full insight into the effect non-disclosure has on families. This information should be passed to the prisoner before the parole stage. He must accept and acknowledge the true extent of his crime. The only way he can do that is to show remorse and disclose the information. Some official bodies involved in the parole stages may consider us too emotional and incapable of making logical decisions about these matters. However, to make a full assessment of the extent of the crime Surely it is time to seek involvement from those affected. Particularly in rare cases such as this, where the actual victim has no voice. Furthermore, denying Arlene, the victim, human right to a proper burial service is a criminal act in my view. This is one of the issues that should be considered in any parole decision. I don't see any reason or argument as to why a change of legislation cannot be put in place that encourages prisoners to disclose information. I see this fair to both victim and perpetrator. If information is not disclosed during the sentence, then parole should be denied. As a family, we don't want or need sensational media headlines asking Nat Fraser where Arlene is. We need official bodies, those with the power, to make change to work on our behalf. We often ask ourselves, why does Nat Fraser continue to refuse to reveal the details of where Arlene's remains lie? Is he evil? Scared? Or does he just want to keep a hold over us? A Scottish Government spokesman said it was committed to ensuring victims' rights are at the heart of the justice system, but that to go further could raise potential human rights compatibility issues. The family's campaign is backed by now-retired Detective Superintendent Alan Smith, who was on the investigation team for the Arlene Fraser case. The family are on a mission. I'll do what I can to support that. Uh, it's believed that you've got knowledge that could help establish that then, you know, parole is a non-starter. You just don't get it. I suppose the one question I get asked in the last 25 years more than any other question is, do you think you'll ever 
reveal our uh, location. The Yankee will ever give it up, and I don't think he, I don't three quarters he'll ever do that for a couple of reasons. You know, one reason is that uh, for him to do that would betray the kind of loyalty that's been bestowed on him by his immediate family. The second thing is Nat's whole um, existence is about control. You know, controlling Arlene, controlling yeah. the finances, controlling the kids, all that. She lost control of all of that. So the only last thing he's got control of is the knowledge of where Arlene might be. So I just don't think he'll give that up. Arlene's closest friends have also backed the campaign. One of them is Michelle Scott. I've not seen them for years yeah. or anything, and I still think about them and thank God not knowing exactly what happened to her and where she is and everything, and the fact that they've got no body text. No or, closure there, is there? No closure, yeah. You would like that to happen, but it... Nat will never ever come clean. I think in the back of his mind, he just thinks he's had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I think he's convinced himself that he, he's done nothing wrong. So if he's done nothing wrong, then he can't possibly tell them where Arlene is no. or what happened to her. He would he would worry what other people thought of him. Yeah. Yeah, and what the kids would think of him and everything, yeah. and what his family would think of him when he gets out of jail. I think he would come back to Elgin and just try and carry on where yeah, he left off. Yeah, he will. Yeah, yeah he'd yeah. be in his seventies, and by the time he gets out and that, back, I would think he'll just go back to living in his old house. I'm sitting here at my office in Aberdeen, and I have in my hand two letters that I wrote to Nat Fraser in jail as part of this investigation. As a journalist, it's important for me to know that I've given everyone involved in the story a chance to have their say. Mr. Fraser, I am a reporter at the Press and Journal. You will no doubt be aware that this year marks the 25th anniversary since the disappearance of Arlene Fraser. We intend to publish a series to mark the anniversary with the full support of Arlene's family and so I'm contacting you about this. The series will cover how you and I sent these letters to Nat Fraser via the Scottish Prison Service. He did not reply. Now I'm back in the office, there's much to reflect on about this case. In my role as an investigative reporter with the Press and Journal, my priority is always to represent our community, our readers, their families, everyone who lives in our part of Scotland. And this case was no different. The part I found most enlightening was how different parts of the story fit together, like jigsaw pieces completing a puzzle. For instance, Arlene's friends told me they have always had her relatives in their thoughts. And they wonder whether those relatives know how close the friends were to Arlene, how much fun they had together. And on the other side of that coin, Arlene's family told me they never knew about that deep friendship connection, especially because people have drifted apart over the years. Arlene's memorial was 20 years ago, after all. 
so it was nice to be able to put Arlene's family in touch with her friends. I've also pledged to keep asking the politicians at Holyrood at regular intervals if Suzanne's law can be bolstered in line with Arlene's family's wishes. And of course, I will continue to monitor what happens with any of Nat Fraser's parole board hearings in the years to come. It's been a troubling investigation, not easy at times, but we've examined a difficult subject for the right reasons. Even if just one person hears Arlene's story, finds themselves in a similar desperate position and seeks the help they need, it will have served its purpose. I've decided to give the last word in this series to another of Arlene's friends, Marion Taylor. That's because it is important to remember that this is not Nat Fraser's story, it is Arlene's. She was a mother, a daughter, a sister and a dear friend, a hard-working college student, a woman with a heart of gold and a warm smile who was trying to make a life for herself away from her husband, the abuser, the serial adulterer and would-be killer. Marion holds a memory which encapsulates Arlene, upon which I feel is the right note to end on. Marion told me about the last time the three friends were in each other's company. She didn't think it was going to change. She thought that would just be until it died down and then things would go wrong again. She knew, she knew that he didn't love her because, you know, it was the way that things had happened and how he, he had actually behaved, not just towards her, but towards the kids as well. So she knew that and she managed to, you know, sort of think for herself. It wasn't as if we were feeding her that information. It was her own doing, you know, that she realised, wait a minute, and knowing what had gone down between the two of them before, I thought, thank God she realised for her own safety, because by that time, I was always worried about Arlene. I was always worried about her safety. As they left Michelle's flat and headed out into Elgin Town Centre, Arlene, Marion and Michelle set their sights on a local pub. They spent the evening chatting with friends and enjoying their night out. The Arlene from that night is the Arlene Marion wants to be remembered. The Arlene who was friendly, who loved her kids and who was free for the first time in over a decade. Let's put it behind us. Let's just go out and enjoy our night. We were quite light-hearted that night because things had calmed down. Oh, she was, she was really, she was always really happy. There were some people that came over and spoke to her and she was great. She was great with them. Always just spoke about her children. It was always about her children. That night, she was just happy, just socialising with friends out in the weekend with her and her big friendly smile. You know, her, her, it was like she was starting afresh anyway. You know, her life had moved on, her children were at school. You know, she was just trying to find herself. And you and you parted on a happy, yeah. on a happy yeah. footing, really? Yeah, yeah. It was just, you know, a cuddle and see you the next time. We hugged, said goodbye and went home full of happiness. It, <laughs> I didn't realise that was going to be the last time I seen her.
I made several attempts to contact Hector Dick and wrote to him, but I did not hear back. Glenn Lucas has since died, and Arlene's body is still missing. You've been listening to Vanished, the Arlene Fraser murder, a true crime podcast from the Press and Journal. Thank you for listening to this series of Vanished, the Arlene Fraser murder. Vanished is a production from the Press and Journal and Impact Podcasts. You can listen to the whole series on all major podcast platforms. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and follow our podcast page so you never miss a new episode. And why not check out Hunting Mr. X, a true crime podcast. This podcast was hosted and reported by me, Dale Haslam. It was produced by Marvin McIntyre and Brendan Duggan. Assistant producer is Megan Avolio. Our head of audiovisual is Mark Asquith. Cheryl Livingston is our special projects editor. Head of content development is Richard Prest. Additional online videos by Drew Farrell and Callum Main. Our social media executive is Kitty Marr. Our graphics were made by Roddy Reed. Thanks to our special guests, Michelle Scott, Marion Taylor, Alan Smith and Alex Prentice. Thank you to Lindsay Hamilton, who voiced Carol Gillies. And of course, a special thanks to the family of Arlene Fraser. Thank you.